Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's a very late September 12, 2018. Uh, For some listening to this, it is September 13th, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their season series against the Kansas City Royals at Kauffman Stadium. Not a particular well-played series, as we will recap what transpired between the White Sox and Royals. Preview the upcoming series as the White Sox are expecting to play in Baltimore, but Hurricane Florence may bring rain in the area. We'll also chat about the postseason races, as there were some key series being played this week, such as the Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Uh, the White Sox are playing some bad baseball in September. They lost seven straight games. But tonight, thanks to home runs from Jose Rondon and uh, Tim Anderson making a nifty double play uh, when it did not look promising, looked like the Royals were going to win with runners on second and third, one out. And then in the 12th inning, turning around and hitting a two-run bomb as the White Sox won 4-2. At least they were able to salvage one win out of Kansas City. Yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, like they already se- they'd already, uh, like, uh, sealed the season series when it came to uh, that, you know, they're going to be either 10-9 or 11-8, and, and really when you're a team that's going to be on pace to lose 100 games, you know, give or take a couple, uh, there isn't really much of a, uh, distinction between the two teams, you know, it's fourth and fifth place in the, in baseball's worst division. So, uh, you know, that's, it's a little bit of a moral victory and, and, and not much more than that, but it was good to see. I'm happy the way it turned out with Tim Anderson doing it because he's had a bad second half. Um, you know, especially the walks have dried up. The average hasn't been there. The, the strong contact has been, 
you know, in spurts, but really not something to rely on. So to see him go deep to left center, to see him know he got it all, I uh, hope he can ride that for a uh, you know a couple more weeks and finish the season on stronger and, and kind of boost the OBP closer to 300. The biggest sticking points for me out of this series, Jim, was one, something that you wrote about this morning, and it was the stolen bases the White Sox were allowing. In the three games, the Royals stole nine bases. Whit Merrifield stole four in the series, and now he has 35 in the season, and it feels like he has 25 of those just against the White Sox this season. Yeah. Uh, what's going on here? It shouldn't come to a shock for White Sox fans and White Sox themselves that the Kansas City Royals are going to run on them. That's what they've been doing for the last five, ten years. Well, some of it's rookie pitchers like Ryan Burr, you know, along the double steal. That's, um, you know, a guy trying to retire the guy at the plate. You know, if he retires the hitter, he's out of the inning, so he's not going to pay a tremendous amount of attention to the base runners and the Royals know that the Royals are aggressive and they ran on them twice or they, they, they got the double steal and then they tried running on it again. And, you know, maybe Hunter Dozier, if he committed to that running lead, um, you know, maybe he takes second, but because he doubled back, uh, you know, Burrow was able to get him. But, you know, that case uh, in the case of the relievers, you know, a lot of young relievers not knowing the Royals, not knowing, you know, really just not probably having tunnel vision a little bit. And in some cases it's the, uh, you know, Carlos Rodon was a little bit sloppy with the way he looked back runners. Um, uh, you know, Omar Narvaez does not have Wellington Castillo's arm. Castillo should have had a, a, a base running kill, but I think it was Tim Anderson dropped one. I think, uh, you know, Sanchez also uh, didn't quite handle a throw to second that might've gotten him out. So I think it was just kind of a collective effort. Uh, not holding runners and also not getting the runners they could have gotten. And it's something that need to tighten up. And some of that will come with experience and some of that will be, you know, have to be coached out of them. Well, you, you mentioned as far as coach out of them with the catching tandem, obviously Kevin Smith doesn't have that strong of an arm. Omar Navas has been able to throw out some runners on the base paths. And I think out of the three, well, Castillo has the strongest arm, but in the future, do you think like a future can't catching tandem of like Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins be better equipped to stop the running game with their strong arms? Because I, I can't imagine that the Royals, even in the next three to four years, Jim, are are going to slow down this pace against the White Sox. Or is this strictly on the pitching staff that they have to do a better job of being aware of the base runners, one and being able to keep them at first base and not getting themselves into scoring position. Oh, Castile can throw. Uh, I, I don't really worry about him, and I would put him in the Collins or, you know, group when it comes to catchers with above average arms. You know, I don't think it's an elite arm, but it gets the job done. In that case, he was just hung out to dry by his pitchers. So uh, I think most of it, when it comes to especially the jumps that the Royals were getting, uh, the jumps taking third, when they weren't looking them back, that's on the pitchers. Uh, you know, that's a case where they're better off putting the ball in their back pocket. Uh, you know, when it comes to Navais and Smith, especially Smith's case, he just doesn't have much on his throws. He's been trying to compensate. He's been throwing from his knees, kind of just doing a, uh, um, you know, altering his his mechanics behind the plate to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. But then it's not that accurate. And it just seems like that's his fatal flaw, and teams have to know that and hope that it's not exploited while he gives uh, a team an above-average amount of singles and you know the occasional extra base hit from the catcher spot. So, um, yeah, it's it's not something I'm terribly worried about with Castillo back there, but ultimately, it's a you know the way they're running, it's a pitcher thing. 
I'm just more worried about when these games mean a lot more for the White Sox, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and the Royals get annoying against the White Sox again, where the White Sox are trying to be a competitive team. And this is something again, this is not new for whatever reason. Teams like the Royals or if you remember the Piranha Twins just seem to run all over the White Sox. And uh, hopefully this is something that they could fix in the upcoming future. Now, something that does need to be fixed is some of these guys out of the bullpen need to work on fielding practice. Uh, Aaron Bummer was able to get out of the jam, but he made a bad throw to first base that allowed him to get himself into a jam. But in game one, <laughs> Jean Mar Gomez's error, I, I laugh because the other option is just crying. That was one of the worst ways to end a game. Just a bad throw to third base. Sailing away and the Royals win it in a walk-off matter. Do you recall a worse play to end a game for the White Sox? Alex Rios target field. Throw from center field that ended up between oh third gosh. base and home when the runner was retreating back to third. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Oh, man. I forgot about that one. I did not. I <laughs> blocked it well it's just with Gomez it's just as soon as it left the hand it was like what the hell it just it was bad but now remembering that Rios throw yeah that was that might have been worse now the Gordon Beckham play that I think everybody remembers against the Mets that tied the game right yes they still won that one (laughs) somehow that's still the worst play I've ever seen by the White Sox defensively Uh, but Gomez he tried uh, he he gets honorable mention there. Okay, so those are the two sticking points. Uh, one that I think leads to a greater conversation. Jose Rondon hit a two-run homer in Game 3, Jim. He hit 18 home runs with the Charlotte Knights, and now he's got five with the White Sox this year. He's only 24 years old. Is Rondon someone that could surprise and maybe be a contender on making the 25-man roster in 2019? Yeah, he's definitely interesting. And I think, you know, given that he took Tyler Saladino's roster spot and, you know, Saladino has since had a bit of a resurgence with Milwaukee, still think it's a fair trade. And if you're looking at guys getting the opportunity, I think Rondon's a better use of that opportunity. And the White Sox will have a decision to make, I think, with their depth uh, in that particular part of the depth chart is, you know, you have uh, Rondon, who looks like a fifth infielder, Um, you know, made a great play at third base too, turning that uh, 5-4 double play. Um, you have Yolmer Sanchez, who is, you know, I think uh, overtext as a starting everyday um, third baseman, but is certainly um, an above average bench player at three positions. Then you have Larry Garcia, who, you know, would be, I think, a great bench player if he could just stay healthy. But I think he's, you know, it's kind of gets hard to carry him or at least count on him. I guess the one argument you can make is that you can. You know, start the season with uh, Sanchez and Leary on the 25-man roster, have Rondon and Charlotte and wait for Leary to get hurt. And then, <laughs> you know, Rondon comes up the way he's been doing it this season. But I think, you know, if you want to, you know, evaluate, uh, yeah, yeah, the one thing I guess Rondon can work on is drawing more walks because he has an equivalent amount of homers and walks this season with 23. And I think that's the kind of thing that can be improved somewhat in Charlotte. But ultimately, I think the development, you know, whatever development is left is going to come at the majors. And it'll probably have to come at the expense of one of those two guys, um, you know, unless they make no attempt to upgrade third base. And then it's, uh, you know, Yomer playing every day and then maybe Rondon breaking camp, uh, breaking camp at the, uh, uh, you know, backup infielder position and being the primary guy at, uh, 
you know, second, short, and third backing up Moncada, Anderson, and Sanchez. So, yeah, it, it, they have a decision to make, and I think Rondon is worth a longer look in 2019. And I bring up Rondon's age because a lot of the guys that we're seeing, like Ryan Lamar, he's 29 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith is already 30 years old. Uh, Nikito Monaco, I think, is 27, 28 years old. A lot of these guys are leaving the prime years of their development. And there were two articles that caught my eye today. One was from James Fegan at The Athletic. Uh, his excellent piece about hashtag 108 and Daniel Polka being this season's spirit animal. Uh, we love Daniel Polka on this show. We talked about him quite a bit. And there was another blog post from Saberstat Analysis written by Mark Armour. And what Mark was trying to outline, Jim, is that the aging curve and using war from baseball reference, he was using that in correlation with Miguel Cabrera's contract and how Miggy's career might look like Albert Pujols's, where he isn't worth much on the field, but he's being paid a lot of money, uh, which would be a disappointing end to a great career for both Pujols and Cabrera. But he grafted of every single player from 1876 to 2017. And it highlights just as far as the prime years are ages 25 to 29. So I mentioned Jose Rondon. He's 24 years old. He has yet to hit his prime and 27. The age 27 year is the peak year for major leaguers where they achieve the greatest percentage of their career war, which is 10.2% slightly ahead of their age 26 season where they will accomplish 10% of their career war. So if you load your team up with 26 and 27 year olds, you you got a good chance to being a pretty good team. The white Sox average age on this roster is 26 and a half. So they're killing that theory. (laughs) Uh, But you know, back to Polka, Polka's 26 years old. And he is having a good power season, not a good overall offensive season. The power is carrying him to a league average weighted runs created. Plus last I checked, it was like 105. So he's 5% better than the league average hitter. Uh, And we know that he's got to walk more. That's definitely adjustment for the next season. But if Polka does age like the curve, uh, we could expect an improvement from Daniel Polka in 2019 in his age 27 season, which would make him a little bit more interesting. But then I look ahead and we we talked about this on Monday show that we don't think that 2019 is going to be much of a season for the White Sox. And both Tim Anderson and Carlos Rodon will turn 26 next season. And they will be at their peak for their career for the 2020 season. Having that discussion in our last show that 2019 feels like a lost season before it even begins. And that might result the White Sox not adding this offseason. When you do factor the age of some of these core players in this rebuild, does that have the ability to change your mind, Jim, on the White Sox approach? Because I don't think it's Han's intention to have what could be the best years for Carlos Rodon and Tim Anderson's career wasted on losing teams. Not, I mean, with Rodon, I think he's more of an, I wouldn't call him an afterthought of the rebuild, but he's not somebody who it hinges on anymore you know, just because of his health. Um, you know, because of the shoulder issue and, and now we're seeing the walks flare up again. So I'm not quite sure what that's about. Steve Stone was speculating a blister, you know, maybe that's the case, but when it comes to Rodon, you know, given that he's not on an extension and, you know, he's going to be a free agent after 2021, I think you take what you get from him, but you, you can't ramp up 
hoping he'll be there to deliver because he might not be just with his, you know, health history. So I think, uh, you know, trying to speed up to accommodate him, I don't think it's the case. I think you treat him like an, an upside acquisition every year. Um, somebody acquired for that year that another team didn't want, and he's, you know, maybe can deliver an above average season, even though he hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to really deliver the kind of Carlos Rodon season everybody's been hoping for. So that's kind of how I kind of look at with him. With Anderson, um, you know, I do wonder whether the aging curve you mentioned applies to him just because of his background, you know, his relative newness to baseball, um, you know, his dramatic improvement at shortstop this year. Usually when you talk about you know, defensive players, defense usually peaks early because of all the, you know, the raw skills, especially for the up the middle positions with the speed involved. Usually their, their, their best seasons come early and then, you know, it's kind of becomes a matter of positioning experience offsetting the uh, physical decline. But I think Anderson, you know, you're seeing his playmaking improve and his, um, you know, just being able to slow down the game to be able to get his body in good throwing position from all sorts of crazy areas of the diamond. You know, perhaps he's somebody who might be able to, you know, maybe not peak later, but have a just kind of a more sustained plateau of a peak hmm. to where, you know, 27 isn't necessarily age when it's all downhill from there. But, you know, 27, 28, 29, where he's just going to be, you know, an above average defensive shortstop and be a, you know, I guess, you know, yeah, the Alexi Ramirez comparisons come up a lot. And I think partially it's kind of accurate of. Uh, a hitter who does not rely on, rely on discipline, but tries to uh, you know barrel off the ball and get some use of his legs and you know scrape together extra base hits with that kind of approach. And you know it does work for him, and he's an above average player at the shortstop position. But I think with his overall game and his overall rawness, and that he um, you know I guess at, at the plate the defense is coming around. I, I think there's a way for him to I guess change that. Uh, you know, that, that curve and, you know, be somebody who maybe his best baseball didn't show up till a bit later. And it does happen. Like Paul Konerko is a good example where it seems like with Konerko, he had his best years after the age of 31, uh, which is crazy to think about in today's baseball, because it seems like every team is just scared to death signing any players over the age of 30, because I think a lot of front offices take this aging curve very seriously, right? That's the whole point of signing these guys to deals before they hit arbitration and buy out the first two years of their free agency because it takes care of the years 28, 29. And if you let them walk, well, you had them at their best years, right? You had them for the prime years and it's all downhill from there. And teams are trying to avoid spending money or at least have dead money wrapped up in players that are not aging gracefully like Albert Pujols. And Miguel Cabrera, even though they have been, they've had, they have Hall of Fame careers. It, it was a pretty interesting piece. And again, when I looked at the aging curve, I mean, the piece is talking about looking at 32 and 33 year olds, but I look at the White Sox roster and a lot of guys that we are not sure about if they're going to be any roles for them on a contending White Sox team. And I'm looking at their ages, Jim, and if they're 28, 29. Uh, if I'm Rick Hahn, I'm thinking about swapping those guys out for the 24 or 25 year olds and let those guys grow in the major leagues and let the 28 and 29 year olds either walk or you can let those guys play for the Charlotte Knights. Uh, cause I, I think it's, it is downhill from here. Unfortunately, they won't get an opportunity to have a peak 
But when you're rebuilding, you got to find the people that are going to be worthwhile to hold on to. And that's why I bring up as far as like Daniel Polka, maybe if he follows the AG curve, he'll be better next year. And uh, Jose Rondon, again, he's only 24 years old. Is that a, a good swap to swap Lurie Garcia, who's often injured and will be entering his age 28 season for Rondon, who does is not as hurt as often and will be entering age 25 season next year. Some things to think about. Before we preview the upcoming series against the Baltimore Orioles, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, plan a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater, too. I use SeatGeek all the time to buy White Sox tickets. And again, the White Sox have just two more home series left. One is a big one against the Chicago Cubs, and after that is the Cleveland Indians. So if you want to see the White Sox at home one last time, Download the Seeky Gap and use our promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now previewing that series against the Baltimore Orioles. Jim, I am so pumped up for this series between the White Sox and the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles are 41 and 104. I can't say that with a straight face. What was the record for that 2003 Tigers team? They win 48 games. Was it 03 or is it 04? Am it's I... 03. Let me look it up right now. Okay, so Baltimore's got a shot. They got a shot to have one of the worst 43 seasons. and 119. 43 and 119. Well, Baltimore can only win one more game <laughs> to, to have a worse record. Uh, then that Tigers team, uh, they may do it because they lost to Oakland tonight, ten to nothing. Your pitching problems for this series: the Orioles are to be announced for each of these games. Friday and Saturday, their 6:05 p.m. Central Time starts. James Shields will be on the mound for Game One. Game Two of the series is Ronaldo Lopez. Game Three is a 12:05 p.m. Central Time start. It is Lucas Giolito on the mound for the White Sox. But the first question is, Jim, we talked about it in the intro, is Hurricane Florence. It is going to be greatly impacting the East Coast as far as weather is concerned. Do you think they're going to get these games in? Uh, you know, Right now the forecast shows that rain Thursday, rain Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday are fine. So, you know, it's possible. I guess I don't get too wrapped up in <laughs> forecasts, with, especially with hurricanes. Um, you know, they can take turns, you know, one way or another. And uh, being on the East Coast, weather does not travel in traditional uh, directions. You know, sometimes you get it from the South, sometimes you get it from, uh, you know, sometimes it spirals around back on you. So I, I don't really, uh, uh, yeah, it it's hard to look at a weather map and, and predict the next day's weather based on, you know, the way systems go here. But I'm looking at the numbers because <laughs> uh, the the Orioles got clobbered by the uh, A's and they're, uh, they've won one of the last 10 games. I was looking at the September numbers. When it comes to OPS, the White Sox uh, in September are 28th in baseball with a 609 OPS. 
the Orioles have a 595 OPS. <laughs> they are 29th. The, the Giants are worse at 548, and the Giants are mailing it in too, it seems. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to pitching, the White Sox are... 19th in September with a 4.37 ERA. Really, the offense has been the bigger problem with the White Sox this month. The Orioles are 30th with a 6.8 ERA. (laughs) The Twins are 29th at 5.94, so they're almost a run worse than the next closest team. 6.8. Wow. Yeah, they are... They're going to have the number one pick. Yeah, they've been outscored, apparently, like... Seven to two and a half an average <laughs> score. Oh this, man! Uh, yeah, I'm, let me look at the runs number just to make sure. Um, in case there aren't a ton of unearned runs here. Yeah, basically been outscored seven to two and a half an average Orioles game in September. Well, that should be good news if you want the White Sox to win some games. Uh, that was going to be my follow question. So the White Sox, let's say they get these games in. Is there anything to gain from these games? Because they are playing one of the worst teams in recent memory. Self-esteem. Really, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, based on the way the, the, the rest of the league is beating them up, I think yeah. if the White Sox showed up and, you know, lost the series or, you know, even split it in a, um, you know, I guess there, there are ways to honorably split in a way to uh, be a demoralizing split. But if they just kind of uh, showed up and threw the ball around and looked outclassed by the Orioles, I think there would be some soul searching involved even for September in a, in a rebuilding season. So yeah, that's my guess is that uh, the White Sox, even if they're struggling, even if they are, you know, they do have to play a respectable brand of baseball to avoid a hundred losses of the season. I still think that they know they're cut above the Orioles and hopefully we'll play as such. Yeah. Well, hopefully when we talk about this series on Monday, uh, the White Sox are currently 57 and 89. Hopefully they are 60 and 89 because it's pretty clear that Baltimore, they don't care at the moment. They, they're ready for that number one pick. They got to be close to clinching that. They got to be close to clinching the number one pick. Yeah. They're eight games up on Kansas city. Okay. So the, what's the magic number nine, <laughs> their magic number is nine games to clinch the number one pick of the 2019 major league baseball draft. All right. Congratulations, Baltimore. Uh, so that's the white Sox Orioles series as uh, it would be interesting to see, it, you know, again, if they get the games in depending on the weather. And for those that are listening that are down in North Carolina, please, please find shelter. Take care of your guys. Uh, take care of you, your family, and everything. If you're in the path of that storm, uh, get out of there. Uh, but moving on from the Baltimore Orioles White Sox series this weekend, uh, there's a lot going on throughout Major League Baseball. And if you're exhausted watching the White Sox this year, I highly recommend taking in other games that are going on around the league. And starting in the American League, the biggest story out of 2018 to me, Jim, is the Oakland Athletics, where they have just came from nowhere since mid-June. And I predicted that they would catch Seattle and pass Seattle to be the fifth wildcard spot. But now get this, with the Yankees losing to the Twins today and the Athletics beating the Orioles... The A's are now one game behind the New York Yankees. The Yankees are 90 and 56. The A's are 89 and 57. So the conversation changes here, Jim. Can the A's take over the Yankees and host the one game playoff? At this point, yeah. 
I think it's possible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy as, as somebody who picked, uh, you know, it was riding Houston in the American League. I'm happy to see them turn it on. So it's it's really, you know, you look at what Oakland's done, six games in a row, they're eight and two in their last 10. They've lost a game over their last 10 because the Astros have been so good. So it's it's amazing to see the Astros applying, or the A's applying the heat to the Astros. It's cool to see the Astros stepping up. That's good uh, September baseball. But yeah, the Yankees are looking a bit wobbly. They've had the same injury concerns and they don't seem to have you know if you're looking at it from a narrative view or or you know i guess the storylines what the papers are saying etc is that you know the the a's are used to being injured and compromised whereas the yankees it seems to be piling up and taking a toll on them so you know there might be some of that involved to where uh yeah the yankees just might be a little bit um you know i guess searching for their production where the a's just seem to take it wherever it comes so uh, yeah, it's basically just a, you know, one game difference at this point. Um, and you know, it's a, it's kind of a coin flip and I would love to see the Astros or the A's host. I keep saying the Astros, the A's host it just because Oakland in a playoff situation, I think has the most fun crowd in baseball. Mm-hmm. And they've already announced they are preparing to take the tarp off. So they will sell every single seat in the Coliseum. So you could have 50,000 people at that one game playoff against the Yankees. That's such a tough test for New York because flying across country to play a one game playoff in Oakland. That's, that's a tough test. I mean, if you go a bullpen game, I don't know who wins out of that matchup because both teams have a really good bullpen. I mean, the A's really loaded up on the bullpen to give themselves a fighting chance in the postseason. man. I I can't wait for that game. It's going to be really intriguing because it's just, a tale of two different ways of building a team, right? <laughs> With the Yankees yeah. trading for John Carl Stanton, which maybe John Carl makes more money than the entire Oakland A's twenty-five <laughs> man roster. Uh, just, uh, just incredible. It's one it's been one of the best stories. I think it's been the best story out of the American League is the rise of the Oakland Athletics this year. But a lot of attention is on the National League. And it just happened before we went live. DJ LeMahieu just hit a walk-off two-run homer for the Colorado Rockies as they beat the Diamondbacks 5-4. to four. So the Rockies are at 80-65. and 65. The Dodgers are in second at 79-67. and 67. And the Diamondbacks just cannot catch a break. They are having a tough time closing games. They're 77-69. and 69. And the Braves look like they're running away in the National League East gym. So the two divisional races, the West is crazy. But in the Central, Cubs fans are figuring out what it was like for White Sox fans to face the Royals in 2014 and 2015 with Lorenzo Cain being a pain in the butt. Uh, The (laughs) Brewers won two out of three in Wrigley gym. They won seven of their last 10 games against the Cubs. They're now one game behind. But they, there are no more games against the Cubs. The Cubs and Brewers are done with their season series. And I've doubted the Brewers because of their lack of starting pitching. But here we are. They're one game behind. Do you think Milwaukee could take over the Cubs for the Central? I've been thinking the Cubs all year. And so I guess I won't deviate from that, even though it's late in the season. Um, yeah, there, there are a strange amount of doubts around the Cubs. And it was cool to see Jose Quintana step up that one game, you know, as much as... Uh, it's an, you know, I don't enjoy seeing the Cubs win. I do enjoy seeing Jose Quintana get credit 
after uh, you know the way he was overlooked with the White Sox and and the way he didn't get the record he deserved and you know he's now up to 13 wins and shutting down Milwaukee who had the opportunity to pick him up and didn't you know and and I think White Sox fans are happy they didn't because Eloy Jimenez is there and really the Brewers might be the reason the White Sox have Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease is because they uh, up the ante among uh, NL Central bidders for Quintana services so I, I do like the relationship there but. Uh, no, I'm impressed by Milwaukee. I'm impressed that they've been able to keep St. Louis at bay because St. Louis has been playing really well. And, you know, they have, I think, the uh, credentials and the, you know, the, I guess, the annual postseason experience by and large. So, you know, the fact that they've been able to keep them down for the uh, second wildcard spot is pretty cool. Um, but I think I will stick with the Cubs just because uh, you know, they're still, you know, they still have the talent there. And, uh, you know, as Joe Sheehan and other analytic types will remind you and scold you for overreacting to small samples in September, it just seems like it's still, uh, seems like it's the Cubs division. And, and also the, the Brewers are uh, two behind in the loss column. So it's a tougher kind of one game back. Right. And again, with having no games remaining against the Cubs, the Brewers don't get another chance to make up more ground. So I agree with you. I think the Cubs are still going to win this division. It's just been pretty impressive, not only for the Brewers, but the Cardinals. The Cardinals are laying back there just three and a half games back of the Cubs. Uh, really interesting. I mean, the Cubs have the best record in the National League, and the Brewers and you know the Cardinals are, are making things a bit tough. Uh, but you have that race in the National League Central. In the National League West, Jim, who do you like? I mean, right now I'm I'm going to hop on the Rockies bandwagon. I'm very unsure uh, as, you know, either any of these three teams could pull it out and win this division between the Rockies, Dodgers, and Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm close to crossing off the Diamondbacks just because I don't know. The one thing I don't know looking at their schedules is how many head-to-head matchups they have because I think that's the one thing that can keep me from saying, you know, crossing off the list is if they have an opportunity to, you know, gain three games in a hurry, then you don't want to write. I'm looking at the Rocky schedule just to see how many head to head matchups there are in September. If it'll load. Yeah. They have, uh, yeah, the Rockies have three more against the Dodgers and three more against the Diamondbacks, uh, next week is <laughs> Monday wow. through wins against the Dodgers. Yeah. Friday through Sunday against the Diamondbacks. So that I think that would, will determine the West. Yeah. Or it won't, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, like it, it could, uh, I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the way to put it is that it could determine the West. One bad series means they're yeah. out. Wow. Tough week for the Rockies. I mean, and then the Phillies kind of disappointing that they're fading and they're just, I don't know the way that they've been playing. I'm wondering if they're going to even finish above 500, uh, just how poorly things have been going for them. Uh, but I, I kind of like the idea of a an Atlanta Braves versus Colorado Rockies divisional series, and the winner will go to the National League Championship Series. Kind of breaks the uh, the mold here a little bit, where we've seen what Cubs Nationals, Cubs Dodgers shake things up a bit. Giants, yeah, yeah. and and I like uh, you know, and, and you mentioned the Phillies, and I I was kind of pulling for them just because they made. The aggressive mm-hmm. moves in the offseason. And, you know, I do like seeing teams get rewarded for investing in the offseason. Like, I, I like seeing Lorenzo Cain having a great season. He was one of the best players in the market. I thought his market was more uh, or sluggish or not as many interested teams as there should have been because he's a great player and he's having a you know, great season and leading Milwaukee 
to a surprising year. So that's cool. And yeah, you know, I wanted to see the Phillies, you know, have a similar boost from, you know, spending heavily in the off season, or at least, you know, kind of paying to reward fans from sticking through five bad years. And, you know, I'd like to see them finish above 500, you know, have that above 500 season, kind of like the Brewers last season where they kind of ran out of steam, but at least had something to build on and, you know, had the reason to keep investing and add guys like Kane and Christian Yelich. So, I'm hoping that the Phillies do finish above 500 just to break that cycle of tanking and, you know, show that there is a reward for investing. Still good with your Astros Cardinals World Series pick? Yeah, got to stick with it. <laughs> it could happen, man. Because, <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I had the Cardinals going from the wild card spot. So, I mean, they just got to hold uh, on. Yeah, they got to hold off. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're two games up on the Dodgers for the second wildcard spot. So yeah, again, if you get bored watching the white Sox Orioles this weekend, uh, and I don't blame you, uh, definitely take a look at watching some series in the national league, because this is really heating up and what we've just got a couple weeks left of the season. And I think this is going to come down to the wire, especially the national league central and in the national league West. We'll have Dan Zaborski as our guest for Monday's show to get his thoughts about the White Sox 2018 season as he wrote the final season farewell for the White Sox on Fangraphs.com. And he posted uh, what Zips is projecting for Aloy Jimenez over the next seven years. We'll talk about those projections and also ask him who Zips likes to make the postseason. If you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash machine. Definitely get your questions in, and we'll get those questions asked to Dan. You'll be able to hear those answers on the Patreon-only edition of the podcast. And if you're interested in getting that, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much that stayed up with us all the way into September 13th. Uh, good morning, Jim. And <laughs> likewise. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. And you can subscribe to the podcast in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes. You can also subscribe through Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash socks machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.